So, the title of our reflections in this section of Luke 18, Keep Your Do <laughs> Inside God's Done. I wonder if you've even, uh, gave you a little bit of time to think about that. I wonder what that even conjures up in your, 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 your mind tonight. Um, during the first bit of the lockdown, I know I wasn't alone with this in my part of the town where I live in Campbelltown. Um, my car stopped working, basically the battery had gone flat and uh, it just then didn't take its charge. And it was really for weeks I wasn't using the car and I since had to get the, the, the uh, battery out. Now that's quite a straightforward job, ordered a new battery, put it in. I could do that. But it occurred to me when I lifted the bonnet and I was thinking back, my first car was a Mini, you know, one of the original Minis, 1977 Mini. And um, I used to lift the bonnet and at least understand. I would never call myself a mechanic, but it was, it wasn't, it's since then I've never done anything on the car really. That first car, I'd tinker, I'd play around and do a little bit. And I was learning as a young, in my early, late teens, early twenties. But now, you know, just give it to the garage. <laughs> now, do you think you should just go to the garage when you have a problem and you say, oh, can I borrow the tools? You don't do that, do you? You give the whole thing over and you, you, you leave it in their hands. You trust their knowledge, you trust their equipment, you trust their expertise. Not a perfect example, but I, I share that for us to just think about the gospel and to think about salvation. Who are we to save ourselves? Who are we to deal with sin? Who, who, who are we? We cannot redeem our own lives. And the gospel is about the fact that we give it ourselves completely to God. It's a nonsense in one sense that we would say we receive the message of the cross, say we're redeemed, and then try to earn our salvation. So the scripture is really clear, but you know it's something that has to keep being taught, and you keep seeing it raising its head. That it is about grace through faith. We talked about this this morning, and yet over and over we trust our self righteousness. We think God's going to be more pleased with us because of this and this, as opposed to someone else who's perhaps not doing the things that we're doing. And as we shared this morning, and I just reiterate it tonight reiterate the message tonight it is all about grace and mercy foundationally all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely all are justified freely by his grace so you know we're not going to teach something new tonight but we just have that emphasis John Piper says this we need to read the gospels backwards what do you mean by that? We need to read the Gospels backwards. See what is done, talking about the cross, and in that context, see what the writers have in mind. So, for example, Mark, he actually says, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. So, you know, he doesn't write about it until the, the last chapters of the Gospel, but he, he's beginning his, his message with the full knowledge of what happened on the cross and the resurrection and the redemption of humanity for you and I. Um, John does a similar thing. 
uh, although he mentions it at the end, he tells us the reason, the purpose that I've written this book is that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So maybe this is helping us with the title tonight. You see that the context of what we do, because we are to do things in our Christian life, we're to live out our Christian life, but it is in the context on, on, on what Christ has done. We can't improve on it in any way. I mean, you really cannot improve upon the fact of God giving up the glory of heaven. The one who creates being, who is the very being itself, brings being into being, <laughs> brings life into being, comes to earth and dwells amongst us, gives up the glory of heaven, becomes poor so that out of his poverty we might receive his riches. It's a completed work that cannot be added to by us. Cannot be added to by us. If we think our righteousness has any benefit, we're wrong. So today's accounts uh, blow that attitude out of the water. It's a common mistake and it's a mentality that we can easily get into. So I'm really moving that on. I need this, don't I? Um, So how do we come to God in, in that sense? As it says in Ecclesiastes, God... Your steps, when you go into the house of God, go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. What is the sacrifice of fools? Well, I think we've got some images of that in in the scriptures. So we've got two kinds of people. We've got two kinds of prayer. We've got two kinds of responses in this first section. So let's have a look at that. Two kinds of people, two kinds of prayer. Well, the two kinds of people we've got the pharisees approach and um we've got the publicans approach the 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 pharisees approach is look at me you know god you must be so pleased with me and as i said you know he's like patting his self on the back as he lifts his uh, um lifts himself up with his words to god in prayer it's more about it's all about him who he is and he is making himself feel better by judging himself against others, even the other person in in the place of prayer. Wow, what a challenge if we should ever come to church, coming before God, judging the person sat with us in that way. Jesus is blowing us away, saying, this this is not right. You know, the, the publican, person of low reputation. Now, perhaps I should actually... I've jumped ahead. Maybe we should just do that little bit of a description. If you're not familiar, the Pharisees are the ones who are, are, are part of teaching the law to the community. They're going by the letter of the law. They're known for their righteous acts. And Jesus does nothing but blow this attitude apart all through his teaching. He doesn't have good word to say of the Pharisees. Uh, Matthew 23, for example, whitewashed to- tombs. He, he talked about, and we mentioned this last week, that he said, you know, you're, you're putting burdens on people's backs that, they, that you yourself can't even carry. It was about laws and regulations. What's cool about the ministry of Jesus, and I've just seen this wine before, it's ready for communion, but you may think of this. So the very first miracle really sets the scene 
for what Jesus was about and what he was about to do. So do you remember, it is the water jugs at this wedding which are there for hand washing, ritual washing. So it's an imposed law, it's not a God's law, it's the, the religious people of the day said, this is what you must do, God is going to be pleased with this. It's made up by human beings, but there are these huge stone water jars, gallons of water, people are using it to wash their hands. And uh, so it's a, it's a symbol of religion. And uh, what does Jesus do at that party, at that wedding reception? Gets the steward, and what faith this steward must, the steward must have had. Uh, you know, take the ladle, get that water, and go to the top table where the, run, the wine has run out, and, and pour that water. And of course, in the journey, the water turns miraculously to wine. So it's an incredible thing. Um, just so cool, isn't it, when you think it's the hand-washing stuff that's turned to wine. But it's also a real kick in the eye for the, the religious elite who's, who, who are the joy-stealers. You know, this is a party, this is a celebration. And the breaking of religion, the, the ritual that those water jars represent, is, is, is going to be destroyed by Jesus' ministry. It's by, I've come to have life, that you might have life, and have life in all its fullness. And... Um, Talking about sinners coming to repentance and the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. It's all about a party in heaven. There's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people that don't need to repent. Jesus is flipping the cultural understanding of God and religion on its head. So this Pharisee who thinks God's going to be so pleased with him as he recites his good deeds. And we're told at the end of this parable that the one that God is justifying, the one that God is responding to, the prayer that God is responding to is the humble publican. The publican who um, is despised by the religious community. But see, he, he knows who he is in his heart. And he comes before God and he's, he says, I'm a sinner who needs salvation, I need forgiveness. He who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself, says Jesus, will be exalted. So it's an ancient story, and yet, boy, can you and I relate to that? We think, gosh, I have that attitude at times. <laughs> and I talk to God as if it's, God doesn't see my heart. He sees my heart. sees my heart. So, one prayer is a haughty prayer. One prayer is a humble prayer. Or maybe, when I wrote that, I thought maybe I should have put one is an honest prayer. Yeah, one is an honest prayer. And like we've already said, What's the result? Well, one goes away justified because of God. Not justified because of the way he prayed, but justification comes from God. Now, it's quite hard. So I'm sure you're aware that the scholars tell us that the, the gospel writings aren't necessarily in chronological order. You get this, people are piecing together elements of Jesus' teaching to, to, to show us, you know, it's, it's been verbally communicated for several years and then there comes a point in the history of the church where it's written down and they say, oh, we need to collate this stuff uh, in a written form. And sometimes they're illustrating different truths. 
So I just found it, I found it quite, I found quite a link here, and I might be just imagining it, but that we've got this story, then the rich young ruler, but in between the story about the little children, because Jesus uses the little children as that illustration of how we should be approaching God. People were bringing the babies to Jesus, the children to Jesus to have them blessed. And of course the disciples don't bother the Lord. What's a beautiful thing is that children wouldn't come to a grumpy-faced person, would they? <laughs> they see straight through it. So it tells you, you know, we're told of Jesus, he has nothing to attract us to him, he's very ordinary. Uh, it says that in the scripture. scriptures, no beauty, and yet a child sees through all the stuff. I'm getting distracted, but I'm going to tell you. So in my late teens in my home church, I was in Chelmsford, Essex, there was this Saturday night kind of do thing. And um, I dressed up as a tramp or someone on the street, as I say, I would be young, so, but someone that had been sleeping rough and I had face putty on, I had a dirty coat that I'd made sure it stunk, you know, and different things. And um, I, I was taking part in that night. There was these different musical items, and at the given point, I was going to get up <laughs> and do this song thing. Anyway, but beside the point, and I walked down. It was a two-mile walk to get into character. <laughs> and I went into the church. It was like membership of 300 people. It was a big church. And um, I went in the front doors, and, of course, suddenly the people on the door and some of the leaders are like, oh, gosh, who's that? You know, who's that? And they're just a little bit on edge. I'm not against them. They weren't against the people from all kinds of walks of life came to our church at times. But I, I see it now that, yeah, you're going to think, okay, what's going on? And um, so I was, I, was, I was going in, and uh, one of the kids, because I was helping with the Sunday school in, normally, one of the kids walked by me and said, hello, Chris. <laughs> I found it really interesting. These adults will go, oh, who's that? Oh, no. And this child could see through the disguise. I was so scared that I was being found out that I went into the toilet, because which made it worse. There's all these people, all right, there's a strange person coming, he's come to the front door, and he's going hidden in the toilet. Anyway, that's, uh, I did come out, and I did sit at the back, and they were really, the person who sat with me was really good explaining everything to me. So they did all the right things they should do for that kind of character. But anyway, I tell the story, because it's just that, a child can see through things. Children see things in a different way. And it's really interesting that here, God on earth tells us to look at the example of children, um, the kingdom of God. You know, you've got to accept the kingdom of God like, like that childlike trust, that childlike uh, eyes. And it's not to be childish, but to be childlike. And it's about humility, it's about faith. It's about um, dependence. So as we move through the chapter, we then come to the rich young ruler. And it's a hard bit of scripture, really, because it's one of the, it's the only person, I think, that we read who comes to Jesus but actually goes away sad. He used to go away transformed. I don't know what happened in his life afterwards. You know, maybe sometimes it takes a while for pennies to drop. Maybe he never came to a living faith. Maybe he was never. Uh, you know, I'd like to think in later life he encountered the message of the cross. Um, 
But interesting, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And on the screen, you notice I've underlined I do. I don't know if you picked this up in the story, but actually that's a giveaway as to what was actually going on in his life. So it's a mistake. It's not about riches, even though riches and attitudes to riches are taught about here. There are many rich people in the Bible that had favour with God. You think of Abraham and David and all these people. They had lots of money. They had lots of wealth. But here is the secret as to what's going wrong in this story. Right at the beginning, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And salvation isn't about reaching up to God. It's about him reaching down to us. Keep your do inside God's done. It's about what he has done. And faith in what he has done is the foundation of salvation. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, see, you might think that he's one of these people that sees him and says, oh, this is the Messiah. But in, in actual fact, he, he, he doesn't see that. He, he doesn't see. I mean, he is actually before God. In that sense, it is right to call Jesus good. But his conversation gives away that actually uh, he doesn't see Jesus at this point for who he really is. No one is good except God alone. Do you, do you know the commandments? So it's interesting which of the commandments are named here. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not honour your father and mother. Jesus says some of them, he doesn't say all of them. He doesn't say about loving God. And he doesn't say about covetousness. Interesting. Jesus is always so tactful and he's always, he's drawing people along to help them to see inside their hearts if they'd only see it. All these I have kept since I was a boy. When Jesus heard this, he says, well, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'd have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. See, the one thing not mentioned was covetousness and in that sense, um, his attitude to his wealth, he went away sad because he, he couldn't give up the, the other one not mentioned is idolatry. And in actual fact, his wealth was his idol. So Jesus helps him to confess what he knows he can do. But the, the two things, he, it's interesting he doesn't mention it at first. But the very two stumbling blocks of the Ten Commandments are the, are the ones not mentioned. And his, his wealth had become his idol. And that's a danger for us all. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. Um, in one sense, Jesus makes it impossible for him. Who of us would have, could have done that? I mean, there have been people in history that have done that and have lived that life uh, in perpetual poverty on purpose. But actually... To, to walk away and do that from reading this passage is missing the point. It's not about, because in actual fact, if he had sold it, that might have highlighted his covetousness, it might have highlighted his idolatry, but the whole issue is a man cannot save himself even by selling all that he has because salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation is the cross and man by his achievement 
cannot win favour with God. How hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? It's in, you know, pick that up, because you can read that and think, oh yeah, rich people can't get to heaven. No, no, he's actually saying no one can get to heaven. Who then can be saved? The disciples understood it. They heard it and said, oh, Jesus is saying something so much more here. Who then? And here's the gospel line. What is impossible with men is possible with God. See, salvation took for God. Well, now let's start again. Let's go back the way. What does the scripture say? As in Adam all die. So the sinful nature is upon all humanity. And in that sense, Adam represents all of us. In Adam, we all die. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. God, knowing we cannot save ourselves, took on humanity himself. And Christ described in scriptures the second Adam or the last Adam, represents a perfect version of humanity. He is tested in every way that we are, and yet is without sin. And he undoes all that was done in the Garden of Eden, all that was done in the beginning, all that was done in humanity, all that's been done in humanity since Christ has represented. And he not only transforms humanity with his divine life. He lives a vicarious life, a perfect life. And it is his righteousness, his version of living a righteous life that we trust in, not our version. And he takes that perfect perfect version of humanity, takes it to the grave, takes it into the depths of hell, and then ascends to heaven, and there is a risen man in heaven. And the gospel, when you go through the, 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 the letters, they describe, we've got to consider ourselves dead to our own humanity and alive in him. You know, where are we now? We're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Now, we, we didn't get there. I didn't have a big ladder. I didn't get there myself. My good deeds, my prayers, humble or haughty, didn't get me there. My giving away of my riches didn't give me there, get me there. Jesus got me there. You know, and, and you, you see that pattern throughout the New Testament. Since we've been raised with Christ, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Colossians 3. So because we're there, because he's taken this perfect version of humanity, we're to, oh, right, well, my do inside is done. What do I do? I've got to take off malice. I've got to take off... Um, sinful attitudes you know, and uh, deal, deal with my immorality, I've got to deal with my uh, all my theft all, my, all the things whatever they are, my lying put it off like garments and put on love instead and put on compassion and kindness and goodness not, not to get myself there because that's, he's done it all, I'm forgiven I'm seated with Christ in heavenly realms so let me respond to that 
Let me do inside God's done. <laughs> Put on love and compassion and live for Him. Free. Not worrying about Judgment Day. Because God made Him, Christ, who had no sin, sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And I, I trust in His righteousness on my life. He, he imputes His righteousness to me. It's this divine exchange. Beautiful, isn't it? I give him my sin. He gives me his righteousness. I'm worthy because of him. And this, the moment I think I'm going to achieve it because I come to church now, the moment I think I'm going to achieve it because I did that good thing, it's the moment we haven't understood it's about mercy. It's about grace. It stops being about grace. It becomes something I'm earning rather than something that is given to me. It's beautiful. That's therefore it's gospel. It's good news. As soon as I've got to do something to obtain my salvation, then that's bad news because how, how will I know if I've done enough? How, how will I know if what I've done counteracts the things I know I shouldn't have done? It just doesn't work. On any level. And it's not gospel at all. Now let's keep our do inside of God's done. Okay, if these are helpful, just a few verses like from Romans. I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy. See the highlighted part there. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It is does not therefore depend on human desire or effort. Romans 9 16, but on God's mercy. Gospel is all about God's mercy, not our effort. Romans 11, 32, God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on all of them. You know, he walks on earth, he's not surprised by what humanity's up to. (laughs) It's because of what humanity's up to that he comes and does what he does and so this is the gospel on which we stand and uh, I love Corinthians 5 for Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died he died for all all died, all humanity died I wasn't even born 2000 years ago were you? no (laughs) so it, it, it applied then and it applies for humanity And now for those that who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. God, look at humanity, the men in the street, the women in the street, the children. And some they've not been raised. We live in a culture where people haven't been raised in church anymore. Jesus who? Jesus is that swear word, you know, or Jesus is that. They might have a version of Jesus. They don't know this wonderful truth, but actually... Again, that's not a surprise to God, this generation. He died for each and every one, each and every human being. Notice the word all here. So from now on, regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. A new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he was committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You know, this helps me to see all the things you've shared. You know, be what we already are. Christ hasn't got to suddenly die on the cross again because it's now the 21st century and I've been born. We've got to be what we already are, what Christ has already achieved. God made him who had no sin, sin for us. That's the Greek word sarks. It's like the sinful flesh. He, 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 he took our sinful humanity, he became it, but he transformed it. He was not a sinner. He transformed it with his divine life. God made him who had no sin, sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now it's all about grace. Let's keep our do <laughs> inside God's done. I hope that's helpful to you.